really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I'm your host, David Lawrence. I follow rugby wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, please do, because I'm always happy to chat. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an old-fashioned email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, obviously, lots of action this weekend. Why don't we get right into our usual weekly segments? So, we start, as always, with our current updates. And, of course, this past Thursday was Thanksgiving here in the States. And I felt extremely grateful for the listeners I've found here, the connections I've made, the amazing people who have just sort of taken some time to join us here in the Scrum of the Earth. It's been amazing. So the day itself, we spontaneously checked and discovered that the local high school football team had their annual rivalry game. And I'm lucky enough that their field is an easy, you know, seven or eight minute walk from my house. Sure enough, it didn't disappoint. Some really fun stuff on the field. The opposing town had their fans out in droves. It was kind of awesome. I don't know if they get to get, get together to practice or just what, but they were doing chants. They were doing choreography. Like, they were here for it. It was a sight to see. Of course, we won, so that was even better. Uh, also worthy of note, the bribe we dangled to get our son to come uh, with, you know, without being a huge pill was the idea of going to the playground that's right adjacent to the field. And we promised him if he could, you know, stick it out for some of the game, then he could go play on it in exchange for, you know, not being a dick. Then at halftime, it happened. My partner said, okay, good job. You've earned it. You want to go to the playground? And he said, no, that's okay. I want to finish the game. I mean, I, I couldn't even believe it. I can't wait to see if it carries over to the Free Jacks season in a few months. That would simply be the greatest. So to all of you who celebrated, happy Thanksgiving. And to those of you who didn't or don't, I'm very thankful you're here with us to continue talking about this game that we all love. Well, Isa, it's not good news if you're a La Rochelle fan, as their defensive coach, Ronan O'Gara, has been suspended for 10 weeks. Uh, quoting from the independent.ie, Quote, Ireland legend Ronan O'Gara has been hit with a 10-week ban and a 15,000 euro fine after his latest brush with the powers that be in France. The La Rochelle coach will be suspended for all of his team's Heineken Cup Champions Cup pool games, including the games against Ulster, after being accused of making, quote, an attack on the best interests of rugby, unquote. It is his second ban of the season, having served a six-week suspension for, quote, disrespecting the authority of a match official, unquote, in September and October. He is now facing a lengthy ban and fine for making, quote, remarks to a match, match official, unquote. It is understood that O'Gara was uh, sanctioned after making contact with officials privately about inconsistencies in recent matches, particularly in regard to ha uh, head high shots that went unpunished in his side's recent game against Toulouse. Uh, he can appeal the ban and fine, which totaled 20,000 euros with 5,000 euros suspended, unquote. So I just have to say, it feels very odd to me that he's getting such a hefty punishment at the same time that Rassi has gotten just a two-week ban since the comments in question weren't and haven't been made public, as opposed to Rassi's widely circulated videos. You know, if you comprehend how disciplinary actions work in rugby, please get in touch because you might be the only one on earth. 
So moving on to our thoughts of the week and ooh, there's only one place my thoughts could have been this week. That is, of course, with Mr. Dottie Weir, or rather Dottie's family. The legendary figure finally reached full time on Saturday, and I'm still completely devastated. Uh, I recently spoke with Stuart Tom, who was friends with the Scottish hero himself and has done a ton of fundraising for the My Name's Dottie Foundation. If you haven't listened to that one, I would recommend it for sure. In any event, it was he who reached out to me to tell me the news this weekend, and he put it so well. He said, we all knew it was coming, but still thought he was immortal. Just a magical man, a terrible loss for our world. If you are able, please send some support to Dottie's incredible foundation or uh, give some support to Stuart's upcoming Longest Night Cycling event, both of which I've linked in the show notes. I've also linked to the incredible uh, to an incredible tribute to Dottie, and I think I would do a disservice to his legacy if I tried to speak more about it. Um, Dottie was a towering and legendary figure to me and was a source of enormous inspiration to literally millions of people. Our little blue marble is lonelier for having lost you, but each and every one of us is better for having known you, even in the smallest way. Dottie, you are, and forever will be, sorely missed. Well, after that somber note, that does bring us to our weekly reviews. And I have to say, in our previews last week, I neglected to mention the extra internationals this weekend, of which there were two, the Wounded Whales versus Australia, who have so many injuries that they called me and asked me if I was available. In fact, they have so many players in the hospital right now, I'm going to start calling them ER Australia. Uh, and then, of course, a really big one, the, a 2019 Rugby World Cup final rematch, England versus South Africa. So for the first one, I mean, the Welsh anthem has to be the best in the world. I mean, I know I talked about Argentina last week, but nothing compares to what they described as the cathedral of noise in the lead-up to a test. Just hair-raising stuff. Uh, Philip Atudiot was on comms again for this one, and to start her off, right at, the, right at the very top, they asked what Wales needed to do to win, and if they didn't, should Pivak be let go? And she masterfully dodged that last one without my even noticing it until long after the fact. She is class all the way. Will Black Friday become even darker Saturday? They posted, they posed rhetorically. Just great stuff. Good, good start to this one. So, gotta say, Wales came out smoking hot. Alan Wynne Jones, he appeared to have shed 10 years, and the likes of Tipperick just showed a roaring fire inside. Just incredible stuff. Uh, up two players, Wales drove one in with a practically unopposed maul. And then it was the electric Rio, uh, Rio Dyer in the left corner to make the score 34 to 13. All my notes at the time were all the, along the lines of, wow, there's really something different this week. They've just really turned it around. But then, and you could almost feel it coming somehow, the tables slowly began to turn. Two yellows against Wales had Australia roaring back making up 19 points of the 21-point deficit and finding themselves within two with five minutes left. As Lonigan scored the go-ahead try, Pivak had the look of a man about to be looking for work, frankly. Uh, with literally a second or two left, one more phase would have sealed it for the Aussies. But Wales got a penalty and one last shot. Both of these teams seemingly confused at the prospect of winning. Uh, even the comms were like, how is this possible? However, the Wallabies, they stole it kicked it out the back, the stadium stunned. And it was a rare win for ridiculously de depleted Australia. Two bad defeats in a row for Wales. 
I think I can confidently predict what's going to happen with the head coach position this week as they lost at home again, 34 to 39 after holding a 21 point edge at one point, just snatching defeat from the jaws of victory once again. Wow. This was one of the most surprising results I think I've ever witnessed, though what I'm mostly hearing from Welsh fans today is, yep, saw that coming. Not good times. Uh, moving on back over at Twickenham, England, they looked underwhelming in what I wouldn't call the most exciting game I've ever seen. Uh, they were down 3-14 to 14 at halftime. By the way, is there any team on earth better equipped to make South Africa look like the good guys than England? I mean, it's it's quite a feat when you think about it. So a couple of drop goals, a couple of serious scuffles had England blowing their tops left and right with a boneheaded move from Johnny Hill directly leading to another try for the visitors. It was so nice to see them shooting themselves in the foot like that. No swing low in that moment, I can tell you. Uh, there was <laughs> there was so much scrappiness in this one. Eventually, the ref would blow his whistle and then shout, whistle, whistle, which totally cracked me up. Uh, Tom Shanklin was, again, savage in his assessment of Van Portfleet. And after a particularly naive mistake he had made, it was hard to disagree at that point. But then it was Thomas Detoy with a grisly red card, shoulder to head charge that I'm sure would have just left me dead on the field. Holy crap. Uh, England, they weren't able to really respond, however, with the box turning them over in rucks and lineouts. Just a dominating show they put on. A masterclass, as Shanks put it. Most scathing of all, he said of the English, they're just not comfortable playing this game. Youch. So England scored their first try after the 72nd minute, having taken advantage of Faf going down hurt. Actually, you know, good thinking on the fly by them, but they were still two converted tries away from repeating their feat from last week. The funniest moment was right at the end, with the clock past 82 minutes, up 13 to 27, South Africa decided to go for the corner rather than add three. I mean, open wound, insert salt, right? So fortunately for the home team, LeBoc, uh, I just realized he's Le Springbok. Uh, he missed a touch. That's how it would end, with an over, uh, with an underpowered Springboks team getting their first win at Twickenham in eight years. Already this week, there's been wide speculation that Eddie Jones will be shown the door, and I realized... I mean, imagine if two tests outside of the sanctioned international window led to two coaches in two of the most high-profile organizations in all of rugby being sacked. I pictured like an old-style newspaper cartoon depicting the RFU on one side and the WRU on the other having a tug-of-war over like a ragdoll of Scott Robertson. You know, potentially historic changes coming this week. Uh, if I had to wager, I'd say Eddie stays and Wayne goes. But I've also heard the WRU can't afford to let him go and pay for a new coach at the same time. So, you know, maybe it's a lot of noise over nothing. In any event, both teams are at a particularly low Eddie, no, no pun intended. And in both cases, something significant needs to change. You know, naturally, it's plain to me where all this is headed. So, Welsh fans, fear not. I'll do it. See you all in Cardiff on February 4th, and you're welcome. Okay, switching over to the top 14, and a quick refresher on where we are. We've had 10 rounds thus far out of an eventual 26. Holy cow. Uh, but this was before the weekend kicked off, of course. So the outliers on the table are Toulouse at the top at 7-1-2 and two with 35 points, well clear of the log jam beneath them, where we have three teams knotted at 26 points, La Rochelle, Racing 92, and Stade Francais. Uh, Lyon and Bayon both have 25 points with Montpellier, rounding out the top half with 23. So the current bottom seven 
are pretty much within easy striking distance except for three win Perpignan and two win Brive on 14 and 13 points at the very bottom. The other five are Toulon and Claremont with 22, Cast with 21, My Border Beagles with 20, and Poe with 19. Uh, Toulouse seem to be running away with it, while Perpignan and Brive are flirting with relegation big time. Uh, meanwhile, the other 11 teams are all within seven points of one another, so we could be in for a, you know, a lot of movement between now and the end of May. So in any event, on Saturday, we began with La Rochelle versus Cast. It was the smackdown of the week. In fact, as I say that, I think I'm going to make that a new weekly, weekly feature. So if you want to let me know your predictions for that particular badge ahead of each week's action, you know, just get in touch. I think it could be fun. In this case, however, wow, La Rochelle just utterly manhandled them from top to bottom to the tune of 53 to 7. Eey. So Poe versus Breve was next. The home side, the uh, the home side winning trend in the top fourteen continued, twenty two to six in a bit of a snoozer, if I'm honest. Absolutely gorgeous day out though. It looked perfect for a rugby. Shame it didn't go the other way. Then of course it was Perpignan versus Bordeaux Begle, where my Border Beagles were looking for that elusive road win. Oh, by the way, I still haven't had a chance to talk about their coach being suddenly and unceremoniously let go a couple weeks ago. What a tough league this is. Uh, this week, though, my guys, they came oh so close, but couldn't get it done, losing a squeaker 23-20, to dagnabbit. Uh, anyway, next up was Montpellier versus Bayonne. The reigning champs were all business, handily taking down their guests 35-14. to Then the match of the week in the top 14 had to be Stade Francais versus Toulon. And, <laughs> I mean, you have to love it. Whenever, if it's a Stade Francais game, when they get a shot of the booth, Every person has clearly been required to put a Capri Sun in front of them. It's just, it's so blatant and obvious. And that's exactly why I love this team. Everything they do is clearly driven by their entirely mad owner. So Toulon, they were scoreless until past 55 minutes, but then really flipped the match on its head. They would hold on to win at Stade Francais for the first time in over five years, 12 to 17 Sunday featured Racing 92 versus Claremont. I'd really been looking forward to this one, but it kind of snuffed itself out by being a bit of a walkover. Uh, it was good to see Finn right back into it. He looked as cool and smooth as ice on a pool. And in part, thanks to his incredible boot, it was 46 to 12 by the end. Youch. Oh, by the way, Christian Wade, formerly of the NFL, looked great out there as well. And it was the first time I've seen him in action with the comms going uh, without the comms going on and on about that. So I guess we're finally... Back to just thinking of it, of him as a rugby player, eh? Anyway, finally, it was Lyon versus Toulouse to finish the round, and has been my uh, as has been my tradition. I am saving that one, so please, no spoilers. As if, uh, anyway, as it's becoming a running item, it's worth mentioning that the home teams this week went, as far as I know, five and one, with Toulon being the only surprise. Though Toulouse may well have bested Lyon by the time I'm recording this. Just such a cool and exciting league, that is for sure. Okay, and switching over to the Prem, so this weekend was technically round 11, but the table is still, you know, a bizarre thing to behold, with two teams having played nine matches, three teams having played eight, and the other six having played just seven, so it's going to be a while before it makes any real sense, um, all of this, of course, leading into this weekend. Um so as people here in Massachusetts say, irregardless, uh, the gap between the top and the bottom is wide, with the still unbeaten Saracens on top with 43 points. Holy cow. That's a whole 15 points clear of sale with 28. Then it's Northampton with 24, Harlequins with 22, Gloucester with 21, and the final member of the 20-plus club, Exeter, with exactly 20. 
In the have-nots category, it's Leicester and Bath tied at 17, Newcastle and Bristol knotted at 13, and bringing up the rear, the one-win London Irish with just 10. Nightmare season for them, for sure. So the adjustments they've made to the schedule haven't kicked in just yet. It'll be after the first couple of rounds in Europe. So it was just the four matches this weekend, starting with a pair of them on Friday. Harlequins versus Gloucester was first. It was a lovely result for me with my Harlequins winning 21 to 12. And of course, a 21 12 outcome is always a bonus for me. Um, Gloucester had been, you know, outperforming many people's expectations this year, including my own. They seem to have dipped a bit of late. Uh, quoting Gloucester rugby head coach uh, George Skivington, quote, Frustrating is the word again. I feel like I'm repeating myself from the last two weeks. But apart from that first 15 minutes, it was a really good game of rugby, and it was as tight as I expected it to be. We've got to start respecting that first 10 minutes of a rugby match because we've done the same thing in the past three matches, unquote. I just thought that was really interesting and, like, super specific, which seems really rare from a coach, to be honest. Uh, So that's exactly what I'm going to be on the lookout for next week when they're back home against the Saints. So after that, it was Newcastle taking on Exeter. The Chiefs dropped yet another match, seemingly unable to escape their own karma uh, to the most up-and-down team I know, the Falcons. It was a tale of two halves in that the first half was fun to watch, and you can fill in the rest of that phrase. Uh, 24 to 21 was your score in that one. Sale versus Bristol was our only Saturday match, and the Printerland Sharks again looked supremely confident at home, sending the reeling Bears to their sixth straight defeat. Uh, though it became quite a contest late. By the way, is AJ McGinty like the most unhappy and unlucky player in rugby? Anyway, uh, Bears led at the break, but the systematic grinder of Sale got the better of them, 25-20 to 20 at the double whistle. And then Leicester versus London Irish was on Sunday. I gotta say, this one turned into an instant classic. London Irish making a furious comeback late, taking a lead, only to see the Tigers eke out in front and then just barely Hold on, 33-31, to 31, really good stuff. Ten tries in this thriller. The Exiles are still on just a single win this year, and that was the end of the round. And for the record, that was a 4-0 record for the home teams in the Prem this weekend. And then switching over to the URC, it was round eight. And again, taking a look at the table before the weekend, you'll be unsurprised to learn that Leinster was way ahead and on top, undefeated at 7-0 with 33 points. That puts them eight ahead of second-place Ulster on 25, followed by Bulls and Stormers tied at 24. The next four slots have Edinburgh on 22, the last team in the 20s, actually, uh, Cardiff with 17, Glasgow and the Sharks. That cutoff is tenuous at best, as Glasgow and the Sharks are only in by virtue of tiebreakers because the Lions and the Dragons are tied with them on 15 points. Uh, and, you know, the next four are easily within reach. They are Benetton at 14, Connacht and Ospreys with 13, and Munster on 12. In the 15th and 16th slots, it's the one-win Scarlets with nine points and winless Zebra at just four who had the unenviable task of playing Ulster on Friday. So speaking of Friday, we did begin with Stormers at home for the Scarlets. With the Stormers' second try, the comms proclaimed, No muss, no fuss, just Leo Linzas. <laughs> Classic. I was like, how long have they had that one in their back pocket? Anyway, love this away kit, by the way, for the Scarlets. Uh, but it might have been the only bright spot for them in Cape Town. You know, I, I have to say, it's a cool recipe that the Stormers have discovered. With ginormous forwards and then backs they dipped into the South Africa 7s player pool to find. Brutal up front, blistering in back. 
they are seriously clicking right now, even without somewhere between eight and 11 players away for international duty. They earned a try bonus point in the first 40 and took less than two minutes to get another try in the second half. It was looking like the start of a very tough mini tour for Scarlets and the Welsh teams. 36 to 19 was the final score and Scarlets haven't won an away game in the URC since last April. Ouch. So then, as I mentioned, Ulster at home for Zebre. That was the other Friday fixture. I have to say, I was a bit worried going into it that it was going to be a bit of a blowout. But as things played out, uh, yeah, it 100% was. Ulster, they scored 12 points in 12 minutes before sort of falling asleep at the wheel. Uh, but they woke up before driving into a ditch, if I can belabor that metaphor. And all gods know I will. Uh, by the end, the visitors only managed eight points against the hosts' 36. Ulster really looked like they want to prove things this year. It's, it's just a feeling I get. I honestly think they're gunning for Leinster. And, you know, maybe because of how heavily the Leinster players are involved with the national team, maybe there's an opportunity? Maybe? Sort of? Maybe? Okay, maybe not. So Saturday began with Bulls versus Ospreys, and the trend of the mini-tour continued with the Welsh side beaten handily, 43-26. to Not a heck of a lot of talking points in this one. You know, Bulls had a 7-4 try advantage, 17-4 clean breaks, 29-18 defenders beaten, and double the Ospreys offloads. Ospreys? Uh, Ospreys also missed 29 tackles. I feel like that's going to make any game hard to win. So next up was Benetton versus Edinburgh. And it was under 10 minutes when Matteo Minazzi got himself red-carded on debut, much to the ire of those on hand in Treviso. The comms then announced, well, this should be another road win for Edinburgh, which of course meant Benetton would go on a tear and score the next two tries in a row. Uh, Edinburgh, they would answer right off the bat in the second half, but Benetton, who had just 15 total tries in the season before today, got their third soon after. The home side down to 13 players, Edinburgh finally tied things up with the final quarter to play. But even with another yellow soon after that, Edinburgh, they just couldn't get it done. I imagine there will be serious gnashing of teeth in Edinburgh this weekend. A try bonus point win for the Banana Skit, uh, Benetton, 24 to 17 at the end. Leinster versus Glasgow was next. Looked again like it might be a blowout. And you know what? Blowout might have been putting it kindly. Leinster remained unbeaten on the year after this one, smashing the Warriors by an 8-to-1 ratio, casually dropping a cool 40 on their hapless guests. <laughs> I, saw, I saw the obligatory, Glasgow's issues are deeper than you think, article Monday morning, and sadly, I don't think that's true. Four away games, four losses, a very rocky start to the Franco Smith era. I do think he's the kind of coach who can potentially get things turned around, but I do not think that's going to happen this year. So in a lovely interprovincial, it was the stumbling Munster versus Myconic Boys. And, you know, while it appeared close for long stretches, it just, watching it, it, it never felt that way. By full time, Munster just had way too much. Jack Carty, man, he, he had a bit of a stinker. Missing some kicks at goal, kicking it out on the full when he shouldn't have, uh, you know, dropping and fumbling it here and there, and kind of complaining to the refs the whole time it was happening. Just not a good look. Uh, by the end, it was only a, a converted try difference, 24 to 17 in Limerick. A side note on Off the Ball, the, the podcast this morning, they mentioned that Peter Amahani sustained a face injury during the mass, match. Uh, I have to assume that he was, I don't know, attempting to display an emotion other than rage. So on Sunday, 
It was Lions versus Dragons again. It looked close for a good while, but the Lions just overpowered them. It was never in the cards for the Dragons, despite a, a decent outing from show favorite Sam Davis, starting at fly half. 33-25 to 25 was your final tally in this one after a garbage time try by the visitors. And then finally, yes, we had Sharks versus Cardiff to finish us off for the week. There was still no Welsh team with a win on South African soil for the entire short history of the URC. The Cubs, <laughs> right at, the, right at the, the top, they seemed dumbfounded that it was raining a bit. Not sure why they had to mention it so many times. I mean, but to be fair, it soon became, you know, an absolute torrent bucketing down to the extent that the CGI graphic center field became a, a dithering mess. It was actually kind of funny. Anywho, an early yellow to Josh Turnbull that put a serious dent in the visitors chances. But then again, Frank Murphy was in charge. So you rolls your dice and you takes his chances. In this case, it was a penalty try and a yellow to the profound dismay of the comms and Cardiff enjoyed a 23 point shutout lead headed into the lockers would this be the day? I mean, let's face it. Welsh rugby fans could use some good news this weekend for sure. Cardiff, of course, hadn't won outside of Wales in this competition since March of last year. But to me, you know, they looked like they might have figured out a few things since then. So with the clock already in the red, Sharks could have taken a penalty just to keep them from being shut out. But I got to say, I admire their choice to go for more than three. Just showed some heart as far as I'm, I'm concerned. Unfortunately for them, it didn't work out with the 10,000th penalty in the match given to the visitors as they absolutely skewered the Sharks 0-35. to 35. Wow, what a result. Oh, so uh, any of you who saw it on Twitter, I decided to post my predictions for these fixtures ahead of time, just for, you know, just for, to do something new. And I, I did all right, I'd say. I, I, I got, I guess, five of the eight right. Um, I, I missed Edinburgh. I, def I definitely didn't think they were going to be losing in Treviso. Connacht, I predicted, would win you know, more with my heart than with my brain. That's how I became a fan of theirs to begin with, you know? Um, and then, of course, the final result, I did not see any of the Welsh teams winning in South Africa, but all predictions wrong or double your money back. I did predict actual scores this time, by the way. Those were all over the shop, as they say. So, you know, this coming week, I'm going to switch to just wins and losses, but I'm also going to try to include the same for the Prem and the top 14. Hint. I'll be taking the home teams in the top 14, and I'm taking Saracens in the Prem every week from here on out. The entertainment, it never ends. Well, by that music, you'll all know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. This week, the award goes to... Thomas Young. Mr. Young, I mean, what can I even say? You scored a lovely brace of tries. You led your team in successful carries, clean breaks, and defenders beaten, and just provided a spark whenever your team needed one. It was clear your teammates absolutely rallied behind your energy, and you were instrumental in what turned into an historic contest, becoming the first Welsh team to win in South Africa since the dawn of the URC. Thomas Young, congratulations to you, for you are this week's diamond in the ruck you made history this weekend my friend well done
Okay, that of course brings us to our updates and previews. And you know what? I'm flipping the order this week. I'm going to start with the URC, where we'll again have two Friday games, starting with the first of all, the All Wales versus South Africa extravaganza, part two, with the Sharks against the Ospreys at, I swear I'm not making this up, Hollywood Bets Kings Park. Because, you know, if there's one thing you think of when you think of Hollywood, it's gambling. So then it's uh, Friday Night Lights at the goddamn health stadium in Edinburgh, where they will face Munster. I am already chomping at the bit for that one. So on Saturday, Wales versus South Africa extravaganza part two, part two, the Stormers host the Dragons. Then Zebra welcome the Glasgow Warriors. My Conic boys are home to face Benetton. And then, of course, the Bulls in the three of four of part two's part two. We'll have Cardiff at home, uh, and then it's an amazing interpro from the RDS where Leinster will host uh, host Ulster. Wow! Then on Sunday we'll wind up this Welsh mini tour as the Lions welcome Scarlets. Could be rough. Then moving over to the Prem, it's our last weekend of only four fixtures: one on Friday and three on Saturday. Friday features the potential future home of the Magic Man himself, Finn Russell. Bath hosting my Harlequins. I mean, stranger than fiction, right? So on Saturday, it'll be the lowly Irish, as, as I've decided to call them, versus the Newcastle Falcons, Gloucester versus Northampton, and finally, reeling Bristol at home for the enigmatic reigning champs, the Leicester Tigers. To round out the offerings, in the top 14, we have a 5-2 and two split for Saturday and Sunday matches, starting with Claremont versus Montpellier. My Border Beagles will take on Breve. Bayon will take, face Lyon. Toulouse versus Perpignan, and what a capper for that evening, man. It's Stade Francais versus La Rochelle. Ooh, that's going to be good. Sunday, we'll feature Cast versus Poe. Meh. And then finally, to end our weekend viewing, Toulon versus Racing 92. Phew! Now that's a lot of rugby. my friends that does it for another week and you know while i'm excited for next next week as usual i mean come on the european cups are about to start uh just a refresher this year's heineken cup will feature in the first round the lowly irish who somehow earned a home game against montpellier good luck with that the cell uh sea sharks in durban will welcome my harlequins by the way I half-jokingly speculated this week on Twitter about matchups that I'd like to see one day, and my first choice, of course, was the All-Sharks match, the Sharks versus the Sharks, as in Celsea versus Sale. Both clubs are in the Champions Cup this year, so I suppose it could conceivably happen. So anyway, then it's a fantastic matchup between Racing 92 and Leinster. Whew. Gloucester will be at home to face the Border Beagles. Claremont will host the URC champion Stormers. La Rochelle will take on the Northampton Saints. The Bulls host Lyon. Cast are home for Exeter. The other Sharks, Sale, will have Ulster. Ooh. By the way, that's the current number two versus the current number two for the Prem and URC. How good. Then Saracens will set their sights on Edinburgh. That could be rough. Uh, the suddenly frisky Munster will face Toulouse at Thoman Park. And to end the round with perhaps more of a whimper than a bang, it'll be Ospreys taking on the enigmatic Leicester Tigers. I am so excited for the European Cups to get going this year. It's going to be incredible. I have such a good feeling about both competitions. Of course, in my little tiny way of protest, I'm not going to go into what Craig Manson likes to call the Diddy Cup, as they still won't offer any streaming of those games, at least where I am. So EPCR, come on, man, get it together, will you? So, my friends, as always, 
thanks for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon and be well. Thank you.